Originally released in 2006, The Lich Citadel and Floating Ziggurat of Naxxramas was the final raid in vanilla World of Warcraft, and also the culmination of not only multiple storylines within the Eastern Kingdoms for both Alliance and Horde, but a conclusion of sorts for a tale that began as far back as Warcraft 3. It was a big damn deal. And the promise kept on the concept of World of Warcraft as not only an RPG, but as a social construct, that the game could be this ever-evolving convalescence of storytelling, character development, and community development. In hindsight, it was perhaps too much at a time when World of Warcraft was still figuring out what it was and growing its fanbase. Meant to be this big, epic conclusion to years of development and the culmination of thousands of hours of work on the part of the players, the true legacy of the 40-person Naxxramas raid is that nobody ever saw it. The now-famous statistic that less than 1% of the WoW player base ever stepped into original Nax is the stuff of legends, but it now feels like Blizzard's eyes were bigger than its stomach. Why did so few people ever see what still remains as one of the best raids ever designed in any MMORPG? A lot of things, really. 40-person raids were hard to organize, let alone organizing them with a full group of people that are not only attuned to the raid via a lengthy and costly questline, but also have said players fully decked out in all of the elemental resistance gear needed and trinkets, plus the gear needed to clear the DPS checks in each of the raid's four wings, plus having those people educated on the extremely varied and difficult boss raids within that dungeon. Not to mention, let's remember, this was 2006 and voice chat was not what it was back then. It was actually kind of hard to get voice organized for 40 people. These were the days of uh, Ventrilo and Discord was yet a wink in the eye of the future of tech startups. So sure, no big deal. There's a reason why so few people saw Nax and why WoW gained the gamer lore of the hardcore MMO for people with no lives, because the people that did clear this content basically had a part-time job in MMORPGs. I can relate, even dating back to the Burning Crusade whenever I was basically raiding full-time. It wasn't just showing up for the raid at 7pm and then playing a video game. I had to grind out materials and get potions and do all this extra work ever before I stepped through a raid dungeon. But Naxxramas is interesting for far more reasons than it being one of the hardest raids of all time. The confluence of lore items that come together within those stone walls is astounding, and the storyline needed to get there is literally a trip through all of vanilla World of Warcraft. So join me this week on Essence of Azeroth for part one of our look into the Scourge Raid Naxxramas, both its classic version and its relaunch as an entry-level raid for Wrath of the Lich King. And yes, we will get to that theology episode one day, I hope. It's time to get attuned to that a portal in Eastern Plaguelands, throw on your nature resist gear, and keep the raid from killing Kel'Thuzad's cat. This is Essence of Azeroth.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I was cast out by my comrades. Exiled. Forced to wander the frozen wastes. But I was not alone. Not entirely. The voice, now my only companion, guided me to my destination. Strange, nightmarish creatures awaited me at the entrance. I felt my blood run cold. As cold as the ice crown itself. Inside, I bore witness to horrific acts. Demonstrations of power. Power that could be mine for the asking. Terrified, I ran, but did not get far. All too soon, my choice was made. Too late did I realize that such power does not come without a price. Now the world shall pay a far greater toll, for I have returned. I am Kel'Thuzad. Your curiosity will be the death of you. Now, where is my kitty cat? The story of Naxxramas is the story of Vanilla Well, with all roads kind of leading to that terrifying portion of the Eastern Kingdoms, the max level zone, the Eastern Plaguelands. For its time, the zone was one of the moodiest and scariest zones to step foot in, just due to how perilous each inch of it is. Max levels, elite enemies are everywhere, there were few flight paths, and it was a trek just to get up to the zone itself. And for good reason. The Plaguelands are the heart of the Scourge invasion, an invasion that began back in Warcraft 3 when the Lich King fell to Azeroth, and machinations began to be put into motion that would lead to the downfall of an entire kingdom, an invasion against two empires, the creation of an entire faction, and more. It's safe to say that the story of the Scourge invasion is the story of World of Warcraft, at least in the beginning. In other words, this could get very tangent-laden. There's a lot to potentially touch on, but I want to keep the focus on Nax itself, its role in the game, and the who, what, when, where, and why. Let's start with the basics. Where did Nax Ramus come from? What is it? And why is it located floating above the Eastern Plaguelands? 
As with most WoW-related stories, we have to go back to the beginning of Azeroth and the work of the Titans. For a quick rundown, the beginning of Azeroth goes like this. Planets in the WoW universe are actually incubators for these massive godlike entities known as the Titans, and the Pantheon is a group of Titans who scour the galaxy looking to cultivate these planets into incubation before the Twisting Nether and the Burning Legion, the forces of evil, can destroy or corrupt these planets. But little did the Pantheon know that Azeroth already held the touch of corruption from Sargeras, which leads to the Old Gods and the Black Empire taking on the forces of the Titanforged in a battle for the literal soul of the planet of Azeroth. To combat the Black Empire, the Titans created massive armies made of stone and elements, called the Aesir and the Vanir. And this includes a lot of creatures that WoW players will already be familiar with. Giants, the Watchers found in Ankirage, Trogs and Earthen, which are the progenitors to the Dwarves, the Vikral of Northrend, and the Anubisaths, the Mogu, and more. The Black Empire's army was made up of the Faceless Ones, called the Inraki, and the insect species called the Akir, which were created when the primordial ooze of the Old Ones took form and became sentient. This is important because, as we now know, the Akir are kind of everywhere in World of Warcraft. Once the Titanforged beat back the armies of the Black Empire and locked away the Old Gods, all of the Akir forces were driven deep, deep underground, and essentially broke into three factions. The Nerubians of Northrend, the Kiraji in Southern Kalimdor, and the Mantid in Pandera. This story follows the Nerubians specifically, as the spider race of Northrend would be the ones to create the technology and the massive ziggurats that later become the trademark of the Scourge. Or, I should say, the technology of the Tolvir race that the Nerubians take over in their battle with one another over the catacombs of Northrend. What's interesting here is that without realizing it, the Nerubians and the Kiraji both ended up stealing and using Titan technology for their own uses, with the Kiraji also taking over Oldham and using that technology to build the Great Temples of Ankiraj, another raid that we'll hopefully be talking about down the line. Eventually, the Nerubians broke away from the sway of the Old Gods and Yogg-Saron, and time just kind of passes for a few millennia. The Nerubians create a vast underground empire, some of which we later see in Wrath of Lich King. Speaking of, and fun fact, Wrath originally had a plan for a massive underground zone that was literally just the Nerubian Empire. The zone was going to be as large as most of Northrend, with multiple dungeons, raids, and was essentially the second half of the expansion. But I think the developers must have realized that the idea was just too large to function. Not to mention that this was the period when Blizz was first obtained by Vivendi slash Activision, and suddenly found themselves on much tighter timetables to get things done. Alas, maybe one day we'll venture down into Azul Narub proper. Jump ahead to the proliferation of the Scourge. The Burning Legion has sent the Lich King crashing down to Azeroth in order to begin weakening the planet, so that Archimonde et al. can begin to burninate the planet. But before that can happen, the Scourge needed to get their house in order, and that included playing Exterminator to the big bug problem they had in Northrend, leading to the War of the Spider and the downfall of the Nerubian Empire. 
The Nerubians weren't just willing to roll over, though. Not only were the spider creators immune to this undead plague concocted by the Scourge initially, but they were also immune to the Helm of Domination's powers over creations of the Dark. So the Nerubians go on the offensive and mount an attack against Ice Crown Citadel. In many ways, the War of the Spider isn't so different from the Vietnam War in real life, in that the Nerubians battled back and even won some fights against a superior fighting force by having home field advantage and using hit-and-run tactics and guerrilla warfare to combat the overwhelming numbers of the Scourge. But as we now know, the Nerubians couldn't fight forever, and eventually fell to the Scourge thanks in part to the Lich King's power growing so much that he was eventually able to raise Nerubian soldiers from the dead. However, the real nail in the spider coffin came from the Nerubians beginning to dig further and further underground to avoid the Scourge, and in the process dug into the primordial earth and hit where Yogg-Saron was being kept letting loose the Faceless Ones once again. The Scourge assimilated everything the Nerubians had, and in the process used their vast Titan technology and resources, including the massive war fortress Naxxramas. And so the Scourge's true war campaign against the rest of Azeroth could begin. If you're wondering how a spider fort somehow managed to become a flying castle, then I'm sorry to say that I don't have many details for you. The only lore about how Naxxramas came to be upgraded comes in the form of a journal found in Atris, the Ebon Hold, and yet another floating scourge fort. This tablet, called the Compendium of Fallen Heroes, details the scourge hero Obrahim, the Traveler, who was a genius architect in life that studied the work of the Nerubian culture and was apparently also obsessed with orc warlock magic. In death, Obrahim became the scourge's chief architect and is most likely the one who created the tech to turn the Nerubian ziggurats into plague-spreading superfortresses. Which is exactly what happened. The Archlich Kel'Thuzad, heard in our beginning of the episode, tasked the Lich King to begin weakening the forces of Azeroth and begins by spreading the plague over the Eastern Kingdoms and in the process creates the Plaguelands, which become the new hub for the Scourge. It's here that the Argent Dawn set up shop, a group of paladins of every race and creed united in one goal, stopping the Scourge where they stand and bringing Naxxramas to the ground. At this point, players in World of Warcraft have seen a crap ton of Scourge activity, and it all sort of directs the player towards the Plaguelands, which means really that you're being directed towards the Argent Dawn faction, who holds the keys to Naxxramas, with Light's Hope Chapel being the hub of activity for everything in the area, including the dungeon Stratholme. Unfortunately, this also meant a lengthy and costly attunement chain if you ever wanted to step foot through the front door of Nax, requiring gold, a reputation grind, and unique items, the most frustrating of which only dropped from the second half of Stratholme and was a green bind-on pickup item that players had to roll for, meaning it was no small task to get attuned. Now, the requirements did drop if, by some miracle, you were fully exalted with the Argent Dawn, but by that point you probably already had all the required items and gold to get into Nax in the first place. 
So, pretend you're a vanilla WoW player for a moment. It's 2006. You're playing on a dial-up modem. You've not seen the sunshine for months, but you're finally attuned and ready to tackle Naxxramas. What do? We'll get into the specifics of the raid next episode, but what follows is, narratively, one of the tightest experiences in World of Warcraft, with four wings of the raid, all with distinct theming, big mechanics, and frustrating adventures in trash mob pulling. And have we mentioned the difficulty? Not only was Nax a technical challenge, but the actual damage numbers of the raid are truly what made Nax a feat to tackle in Vanilla WoW. To give you some context, the average DPS damage done in the four horsemen boss fight in Vanilla WoW to a level 60 player was around 3.5 thousand damage. Compare that to the same fight later in Wrath of the Lich King, when Nax is introduced as a 25 and 10 man raid for level 80 players, and that same fight does 2.4 thousand damage. To survive in Nax Ramus meant pulling out all the stops, using every trinket you've got, and staying alive to see the day. And before we wrap up for this first part, let's talk about the lore surrounding Naxxramas and its move to the Plaguelands to Dragonblight in Northrend, as Blizzard brought the raid back in Wrath of the Lich King as a level 80 raid for players that were kind of getting their feet wet in raiding. It was literally the new intro level. Having always had that 1% of players ever saw Nax stat in their mind and seeing the theming of the Wrath expansion at work, I think it was a smart decision to move Nax Ramus and to give it new life, as at this point, the raid design philosophy of Blizzard had fully turned to that raids are a Disneyland ride, and it's the developer's job to make sure all the players see it, design style that is now the core of the WoW experience for better and worse. But lore-wise, how is KT still alive? Why did Nax move? Honestly, in-game there's very little writing thought put into it. It mostly just seems to be, hey guys, this is a Scourge expansion, so we took the Scourge raid that nobody saw and moved it. Be cool. So sure, narratively the move didn't make any sense and was kind of a weird retcon, but I think that stopped mattering as soon as you hit level 80 and for the first time flew up to the entrance of this impossible flying fortress, ready to delve into the unknown horrors that await. Next time on Essence of Azeroth, we continue with our dive into Naxxramas and look at the boss fights, tactics, loot, and more from both the level 60 and 80 versions of the raid. Also, don't be a jerk and kill Mr. Bigglesworth. It's bad luck. No! A curse upon you, interlopers! The armies of the Lich King will hunt you down. You will not escape your fate. Thanks again for joining me on this adventure. And a special thanks to actor and close friend J.D. McIntyre for providing the dialogue lines for Kel'Thuzad. He did a wonderful job. Please be sure to review us wherever you get your podcasts. Hit follow, hit subscribe, and consider giving monthly to Essence of Azeroth on our Anchor.fm page. Any donation amount will get your name at the end of every podcast episode, as well as special updates and information and long-form writing about other World of Warcraft topics. Until next time, beware that frost damage, and don't forget to do the Hagen dance. Now, where is my kitty cat?